0: Let's now turn for our scripture reading to Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter of the Bible. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give it to everyone according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End, the First and the Last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we observe the Lord's uh, Supper in which we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And uh, in our participation of this supper, we're reminded that our Lord Jesus is coming again. And that is spoken of in Scripture as the blessed hope it's uh, referred to in this uh, chapter that we've read together. And uh, in verse 17, the first part of the verse, we hear the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And uh, this refers to the, the Holy Spirit uh, within the, the church of Jesus Christ, his Bride, praying for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And uh, this certainly ought to be the prayer of every Christian the next uh, sentence is, And let him who hears say, come. Again, a prayer, a calling for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's another voice in this verse. And uh, we want to give special attention to the last half of uh, verse 17, where we read, And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So, this is not a prayer for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the last part of this verse involves an invitation, a summons to others to come. It's an invitation to the water of life, as described here, we're given to see in this uh text that the church, in the midst of her uh longing in the midst of the tribulations and uh, sufferings and imperfections of this life, that the church is not left without present, rich blessing and satisfaction, the kind that is promised here in uh, the water of life. In fact, this invitation of our text is given in such broad terms that we don't do it justice by restricting it to only those who are already Christians. Or Rather, we must hear in this text this morning, a gracious invitation to abundant life. And that's what we want to consider, beginning with the blessing that is to be had, as described here, under this figure of the water of life. And uh, uh, water is an essential commodity. Uh, without water, uh, we would die. In a rather short time, a few days uh, is all it takes. And that's a fitting figure then to express the critical need of our souls. Ultimately, the need of our souls for God. We heard in uh, Psalm 42 and also in Psalm 63, a thirst that is expressed. A thirst for God, for the living God, for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their life-giving, life-refreshing and replenishing Grace. And certainly without God, uh, this world is a wilderness. And we are like peace people then who are chasing mirages in the desert. You children know what a mirage is, right? It's a, it's a kind of, uh, optical illusion. And it's often experienced by people, uh, in deserts or on plains or in a snowy waste where they think they see something, but it's just a trick of the mind and a trick of the eye. And uh, sometimes people in a desert would imagine that they see water, that they see refreshment, and they they head in that direction, but then they discover that it disappears. It does not meet their desperate need, and it does not satisfy them. In a way, that describes the people of this world chasing after one thing uh after another in the hope that they'll find meaning and satisfaction and fullness and happiness uh, but it's a, but it's a futile pursuit. Because without God, uh, there is no true satisfaction. And we are very much inclined to, uh, live without God. And we would live without God if left to ourselves. And we could be like Hagar. Remember Hagar in the wilderness who was actually dying of thirst and didn't realize that nearby was, uh, an abundant supply of water. Uh, And when the Lord opened her eyes to that, then she could drink and be refreshed. Or maybe we might compare uh, sinners of this world to that woman of Samaria who came drawing water every day, carrying her burden of water from the well. And Jesus promised that he could provide a kind of water uh, that would quench her thirst. Those who drink of the water that she wanted, they would thirst again. But those who drink of the water that he would give, would thirst no more because that's the water of his abundant grace that he promises so often in scripture. But by nature, uh, we turn away from God. In Jeremiah chapter two, God speaks of the two evils that his people have committed You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Beautiful expression of God. It's actually found in our Belgic Confession. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you've hewn out for yourselves or carved out cisterns, broken cisterns that at best could hold stale water, but they're broken and so they don't even provide that. It's a wonderful figure of the contrast between what we're inclined to do in terms of seeking satisfaction in this world and the riches that are found in God alone so this pursuit of people leaves them parched spiritually and dry even even dead in trespasses and sins in themselves and uh and it likewise leaves them uh of no spiritual benefit to others others who share in this fruitless and dead condition and that life without god is is marked by by boredom so often or low expectations and sometimes cynicism as people get older i had a few occasions in the past week to ask a few people at uh, at the gym that i occasionally go to in the sauna and it's in a setting where i wouldn't ask this in a group of people, but after some small talk, it's the beginning of the year, and I asked a couple people, so is there anything that you're looking forward to in this new year, something that you hope will give happiness, Uh, something that uh, gives you joy? And I got a couple of different answers. And often if you ask a friendly question like that in a certain setting, uh, people won't take offense. Uh, it might uh, open up a conversation, and and uh, two of the answers that I got from that were uh, the the enjoyment of exercise and physical health, and uh, the other was work, and and those are both good things, and we value those things, but we also know that these are the very kinds of things that without God are empty. Vanity, vanity, that's what the wise man says about all these kinds of pursuits that in themselves may be good, but if it simply defines life under the sun, it does not satisfy the needs of us, of our souls. The Lord Jesus often speaks to those in this condition in John chapter six, he says, do not labor for the food that perishes. He said that to the crowd that wanted free bread constantly from him, as if that would uh, supply their needs. They sought for an earthly king who would meet their material desires. He said, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for everlasting life. Or think also of his wonderful promise in Matthew uh, 11, where he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, burdened. I will give you rest. Without Christ, there is no rest. Or think of uh, his promise, if any man thirst, in John chapter 7, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There are many such promises of grace under this figure of water, life-giving, refreshing water. Uh, the song, The Sands of Time Are Sinking, includes this This uh, stanza concerning Christ, that he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. A poetic expression of the fullness of Christ as uh, an overflowing fountain, because in Christ all the promises of God's word are fulfilled. And so in this invitation of our text, which says, Come, let him who thirsts come this is an invitation to to drink deeply of such promises which are certain and sure in christ such promises as we have in uh, passages like uh, isaiah chapter chapter 55 listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance incline your ear and come to me here And your soul shall live. Or in the first chapter of Isaiah. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The promise of forgiveness of sins. That's probably the the first and foremost answer to the question. Well, what? What do these blessings that are promised uh, really entail? Promises of what? Well, promises of that which meets our most desperate and our first need before God, and that is the, the forgiveness of sins, the blessing of reconciliation with God. We're going to read later from Second Corinthians chapter 5, where we're told that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their iniquities not holding them to account for their sins, right? Blessed, we heard, blessed is the man whose transgressions are covered. Blessed is the man, woman, boy or girl, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And of course, that great blessing of forgiveness of sins is a promise that is yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ who, who shed his blood for us who himself knew no sin, but was made sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. So the promise of forgiveness of sins, we never get beyond that. We never lose our need, and Christians never lose their appetite for the riches of such promises of mercy to us who remain sinful in so many respects. And then there is the promise of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. The promise of uh the Spirit's work of renewing us after Christ's image. The promise of holiness and strength. The promise of, of joy and fruitfulness. Think of that uh, passage I quoted from John chapter 7. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And that means that not only those who drink of Jesus will themselves be satisfied, but their lives will become fruitful. They will become a source of blessing to other others. So that's what we need to hear. Uh, We need to hear of these blessings that are promised. Let him who thirsts come. It's an invitation to Christ, who is the only and who is the all-sufficient answer to our need. In him there is constant healing, healing of the mind, healing of our souls. In him there is the forgiveness of sins, spiritual refreshment and satisfaction. Well, that leads us to consider, secondly, those to whom it, or we should say those to whom he is offered. Let him who thirsts come. This thirst is a universal condition of mankind. And uh, again, as we've already indicated, it involves a kind of dissatisfaction and restlessness that is a result of man's alienation from God. And we have to be clear on the fact that no one is exempt from that. Because people cannot be truly happy or satisfied without God. Uh, Isaiah 57 describes the wicked as like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Those waters cast up mire and dirt. And I realize that that is often, often discovered in hindsight. In other words, when people become believers, they're able to look at their past life with uh, a different perspective. And maybe in the midst of the pursuit of pleasures and things, they were so busy that they didn't really stop and consider whether or not the things that they're living for really bring peace to their souls. But when they find true peace, well, then they're given given a different perspective also on their past. And so simply because people do not have rest and peace without Christ doesn't mean that they always are aware of it, that they would say, oh, yes, that's true of me. In fact, there are many passages of Scripture that are calculated to wake people up to the fact that they do not have peace. Think again of Isaiah chapter 55 where it says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? It's calling people to wake up to their foolishness. It's a kind of passage that addresses them directly as if to say, let there be no doubt, the Lord means you, whoever you are, as you try to quench your thirst in this this cursed world, with the kinds of things that his ha- it has to offer, realize that it is futile, and that helps us to also understand that that thirst here is not it's not uh a qualification it's not some uh certain condition that people must meet in order to come to take of this water of life. It's a passage that addresses the reality of people's condition and need, whether they realize it or not, and it's calculated to get them to think about it and to wake them up to it. If you think of it as a qualification for coming, then uh, you might start uh, asking other kinds of questions. Well, how thirsty and desperate do I really have to be? And do I have to have a proper theological understanding of the reason for my thirst? Do I have to know that this thirst is for God's sake, not just a selfish kind of thirst? Do I have to know that uh, I, uh my weariness is is sufficient to qualify me to come to drink or to come to Christ? Do I feel my need adequately? Now, it may be that uh some of you have never wrestled with those kinds of questions but i don't think they're all that uncommon right because we we believe that that people need to know their sin and misery in order to know true comfort in the lord jesus christ they have to true have to have a true knowledge of their sin but that can also lead people to kind of excuse themselves and say well you know i just really don't have this sense of guilt and sin and if i ever do well if god does something to really show me my need well yeah then then i'll i'll, I'll trust in Christ, and I'll, then I'll come to Him. But I don't really feel uh, that needy. I don't really feel that guilty. I don't really feel like I'm such a great sinner. Well, we need to understand that guilt and sin is a fact. It's not, first of all, a feeling. It's a fact about what the Word of God says about us. And part of that fact includes the reality of our spiritual dullness. And our lack of an appreciation of God's holiness that makes us rather insensitive to the seriousness of our condition. So if someone is here who doesn't feel that they have an adequate sense of their sin, I can assure you, you are right. But may the realization that your own sense of sin is not adequate convince you that you are such a sinner that you're dull and hard-hearted and you don't take to heart the seriousness of your condition. People ought not to spend their time thinking, oh, you know... I, I, I've been a sinner for so long and uh I'm too far gone and uh I'm such a great sinner and I've tried to change and it doesn't work and my heart is hard and so God has to do something. Maybe I'm not elect. God has to give me new birth until he does that. There's nothing for me to do. And I do not doubt that there are those who, whether they verbalize such things or they carry around in themselves such attitudes, they, they do not repent because they really amount to excuses. And their deceitful heart is keeping them from Christ. In a way, they're blaming their circumstances or perhaps blaming God. Yes, God gives new birth. Yes, God convicts people of sin. But we're not to concern ourselves with God's work when it comes to the call of the gospel, or to concern ourselves with what God tells us to do. And that is to take the reality of our condition apart from Christ to heart and to repent and to turn to Him. To open our ears to His promises of life and grace. I thought of this, uh, this hymn that really addresses some of these things when it says, Come you needy, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, but but uh, sinners Jesus came to call. And in this uh, fourth stanza, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And that's, uh, in a sense, a kind of ironic statement, because it's not really a fitness. The point is that the, re- the reality is that all that is needed is a recognition of your need. This he gives you, this he gives you, just the Spirit's rising beam. If there's any question about this, we only need consider the next phrase, where it says, whoever desires, that is, whoever wills. We might say, whoever wants to. Let him take the water of life. If you have not come to Christ, there is really only one obstacle that you must concern yourself with. And that is, you have yet been unwilling. Now that might sound strange, but uh, the Lord Jesus used such language in uh, John chapter uh, 5, disputing uh, with, with the Jews there who did not believe in him. And he points to them that the that the scriptures tell of him. He says, uh, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's an indictment. That's a charge of unbelief. It's their unwillingness. So we have to hear in this uh, this text the gracious invitation that teaches sinners to, in that words of the familiar uh, hymn, say, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And that leads us to consider, finally, the way this life is received. And I'm focusing on that, uh, that little word there in our text that says, freely. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life, freely without money, without price, that's the language of Isaiah, without anything that might be called or considered the least kind of payment. No payment. And there are reasons uh, why such payment is uh, impossible, and it's wrong even to think in those terms. And one of those reasons is the fact that we have nothing to make payment with. Good works? Well, there are no good works before conversion, and after good work, after conversion, good works are, are not meritorious. They don't earn or deserve God's favor. Or what about repentance? Yes, repentance is necessary, but what is repentance? It's not penance. It's not somehow, uh, feeling sad enough or making up for our sins or showing, uh, our seriousness about grace by changing in order to make ourselves worthy of it. No, repentance is repentance from dead works. Repentance is a change of mind about the way sinners are accepted with God, which completely rules out any goodness that I have in myself, any confidence in anything that I can do, any confidence in my emotions, my tears, my sincerity. Yeah, often there are tears when people come to repentance. And yes, there must be sincerity, but these aren't things that we offer to God as if we barter with God, presenting our side of the contribution of this exchange. No, no. There's nothing that we can bring to God as some kind of a payment for his grace. Resolutions? Well, yes, it's proper. In fact, it's part of true repentance to come to God with an earnest desire, indeed, to turn away from sin. But such resolutions cannot be made uh, with any kind of confidence in ourselves, and our ability. Any kind of dependence upon anything but God's grace. Without, without the least thought of making any kind of purchase. We have nothing to make payment with. And secondly, God has no need of payment. There's a limitless supply in this water of life. It's described in scripture as a fountain, rivers. Streams, overflowing flood. God doesn't need to, to parcel out his grace for fear of running out as if there's a limited amount for just a limited number of people. There's no shortage. There's no danger of exhausting or emptying this fountain. And then thirdly, there is this unlimited readiness on the part of the giver. God doesn't need to be persuaded. He doesn't need to be induced to be gracious. He delights in mercy. He is the shepherd who calls for a celebration when the lost sheep is found. Uh, he is the, the father who puts aside all his dignity and runs to meet his returning prodigal and uh, greets him with hugs and kisses of joy. No one who comes to take of the water of life will be denied. And that means that we are each one of us here invited to come. Let us not fail to hear this wonderful invitation. Now some of you might be saying, well, Pastor, it sounds like an evangelistic sermon to unbelievers. Well, if there are unbelievers uh, here this morning, I hope that you hear Christ calling you to himself to turn from all self-confidence, to face your need, And to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would uh, object to the thought that it's not suitable for, for Christians. I mean, think of the psalms that we sung that also include the experience of thirsting for God. And the deep realization that God is our life and we need to come to him and we need his grace. We need to be replenished with his comfort, with his help, with the assurance of his forgiveness. And we come to the Lord's Supper really in the same way as sinners come to Christ for the first time, spiritually thirsty and dry in ourselves, and looking to Christ, the fountain of life, looking to him for the assurance of our cleansing and forgiveness, looking to him for refreshment and renewal. As you have received uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, uh, so walk in him, rooted Grounded in love, established in the faith, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Live in your relationship to Christ as recipients of his abundant provision. We never get beyond that. And the repeated Lord's Supper reminds us constantly that our life is in Christ. And we come to him to eat and drink of his fullness and our emptiness. So yes, this uh text is for, for Christians, it's for all. It's for people who might read this book of Revelation and, uh, and, uh, be frightened over its depiction of judgment and wrath and hell. And then you come to this last chapter and it's like even at the last hour, while there is yet time, it's as if this gospel is proclaimed to all. Whoever thirsts, whoever desires, come to take of the water of life freely, we come to Christ, and we come to Christ through these means that he has appointed for us also, fixing our our thoughts on the wonder of his love, the bounty and freeness of his grace, revealed in Christ who gave himself for us, who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, a blood that is completely adequate, nothing needs to be added to it, nothing can be added to his righteousness in which we are clothed. We but come to him earnestly desiring the riches of his grace for us, assured of his promise of our acceptance and his provision for all our need. Amen.